Welcome to the Christian Life Austin Sunday Morning Message. Today we conclude the three-part series entitled Better with Pastor Rex Johnson. You may be seated. So today we're going to talk about this little subject. Better is wisdom than gold. We're trying to find verses in the Bible that have the word better. It's amazing what you find when you look up the word better in the Bible. God has something better. I'm curious, how many of you right now have some decisions to make that are very important to you? Would you raise your hand? Just be real honest with me right now. Raise your hand. All all right, all right. At every season of life, we have very important decisions to make. Students are trying to decide what college next year. Or in college, they're deciding what should I major in. Or you're about to graduate and you, should, you say, should I get a job or should I go to graduate school? Or, that's right. Or perhaps you're dating somebody and you say, should I date him or her or should I not? And should I take this dating relationship to another level? Should we get married or not? And if we do, when do we get married? And then where do we live after we get married? Are we going to rent or are we going to buy? And then when we get married, should we have kids or now or should we have kids later? And if some of you have kids, you're wondering, should we trade our kids in for another set? Should I pay my car off first or try to pay the debt on the credit card? You know, should I stay at home and raise kids if you're a mother or should I work? We want to get a pet. Should I get one dog? Should I get one cat or two dogs? Hang the cat. I mean, get the cat out. Get you four dogs. Amen. Please write this down. I'm going to put it on the screen. We make our decisions, and our decisions make us. We make our decisions, and our decisions make us. In fact, put it up. Who you are today is a result of the decisions that you made yesterday. And who you will be tomorrow is a direct result of the decisions that you will make today. That's just the way it is. The Bible tells the story of Solomon who was just anointed to be king over Israel. And there was a custom, a tradition, that when a man became king, he would sacrifice a bull as an act of worship to God. And Solomon, he didn't sacrifice one bull. He didn't sacrifice five. He didn't sacrifice ten. He didn't sacrifice a hundred. Solomon sacrificed a thousand animals, one thousand. And because of that, it might have been the result of it, but we don't know for sure. But God appeared to Solomon that night in a dream and said, What do you want? Give me, tell me whatever you want in life. Name it. Just name it. Now imagine this. If God were to ask you, What do you want? Give me one wish. Give me one thing that you'd like to have in your life. Anything. My grandkids would say, I'd like to have at least a thousand more wishes. That's what I want. Imagine it's your birthday. Friends and family, you finished your birthday dinner and they bring in a birthday cake and the candles are burning. After singing happy birthday to you, it's time to blow out the candles. So you take a deep breath and start to blow them out. But before you do, they say, first, there it is, make a wish. Now, you hadn't really thought about that because you're so happy to have cake and you're so happy that everybody's there for you and you're so happy to have lived 45 years or whatever. And they say, what do you want? What do you wish? What request will you make? You've been there many times. Probably the wish was more related to an immediate need or a situation. Under the pressure to give an answer right now, your request may have been reflected on a temporary desire or need, like, you know, if God would heal somebody in my family. I think people have made that kind of request. 
or if God would touch my family, the schism in it, or God would correct a child that's wayward, or perhaps God would give me a promotion on the job. At her birthday party, a woman who had been married only three months, her wish was to have a long-term marriage in her life. I think that's very good to wish that in your life. Or it may be like the young man who was invited to a party. The host filled his pool with sharks, and in the middle of the party, he called his guest to the pool and announced, if any young man will jump into the pool and swim to the other side, he can have one of three things, my ranch, a million dollars, or my daughter to marry. There was a commotion on the other end, and all of a sudden, there was a young man in the pool, and he frantically swam to the other side, fighting the sharks all the way across, and he made it without a bite. And the rich host asked him if, of the three offers what he wanted, and he replied, I don't want any of your offers, sir. He said, all right, you name what you want, and you can have the youth said, okay, all I want is the name of the guy that pushed me in the pool. That's what I want. <laughs> so the question each of us face today, what shall I ask for? Our answer should be based on our greatest need rather than our most intense desire. Do you agree with that? Many times what we desire is not necessarily what we need. See, a lot of people desire a Rolls Royce for a car. They're just 200 and something thousand dollars. They desire that, but really a Volkswagen gets you around just as good and probably cheaper on gas. A lot of us desire an eight-bedroom palace, you know, with maids and a servant's quarters and all that and a pool behind on a lake, stable out here, tennis court lighted, you know, and a running track and all that stuff. And somebody singing and a partridge in a pear tree, all that. But sometimes, just thinking about it, a two- or three-bedroom house would be just as fine. Not everyone would agree on Solomon's decision. If this is the case, you and I must figure out what our deepest need is. Karl Marx didn't agree with Solomon's decision. He claimed that humanity's deepest need was possession of things and goods and the economic equality. Need money for food on the table and mortgage payments. Remember the myth about King Midas? He wanted everything that he touched to turn to gold. Sounded good at first. But then he touched his food and it turned to gold and he couldn't eat it. Touched his daughter, she turned to gold and he couldn't love her. It's amazing. And then there's a rich young ruler in the Bible that had a lot of wealth, but he did not have the understanding to obey Jesus' command to sell what he had, give to the poor, and follow Jesus. And a man that worked all of his life for stuff, built bigger barns to house his fortunes and retired, and he didn't acquire the spiritual resources that God had. And that very night he retired, he died. Foolish man. What did the wealth get him? Nothing. Sigmund Freud claimed that our deepest need is pleasure in terms of sexual fulfillment. And some of us agree with that in, 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 in part. We do want to and do need pleasure to be happy and to enjoy life. But pleasure in terms of sex only without the God factor leads to dissipation, debauchery, and death. Dissipation, debauchery, and death. Then there was Alfred Adler who took the position that humanity's most basic need was power. And there's a lot of that going on right now in our society, in our world. He claimed that human behavior is determined by the pursuit of power. Yet we know power can be used for destruction and death, and it's doing it all around our world. Then there's TV preacher Robert Schuler, who wrote a book on self-esteem in which he claims that our deepest need is pride. Pride in terms of self-esteem and self-worth and self-appreciation. He says that our deepest need is pride in being human. Don't worry, he said, about humility. He said that. It is pride that you need, and that there's a certain truth there also. We all need a certain amount of self-respect and a healthy self-love, yet without balance, it ends up as the wrong kind of pride and arrogance and egotism, and you know that's true. So God said to Solomon, whatever you want, Solomon, you just name it. And Solomon 
gave his request in 2 Chronicles chapter 1 and verse 10. He said, give me wisdom and knowledge that I may lead these people for who is able to govern this great people of yours. That's what I want. Wisdom. Give me wisdom. Say it. Give me wisdom. Give me knowledge. And God was so moved by that request. He said, Solomon, you could have asked for money. You could have asked for power. You could have asked for fame. And you could have asked me to wipe out all your enemies. But you ask for wisdom. So not only am I going to give you wisdom, I'm going to give you all those other things as well. And Solomon went on to write and say more about wisdom than anybody else in Scripture. And over and over and over and over again, he continually said, wisdom is better. Would you say it with me? Wisdom is better. better. Say it, wisdom is better. Solomon said, wisdom is better than weapons of war. Can you hear that? It's better than weapons of war. He said, wisdom is better than strength. Your own strength. He said, wisdom is better than strength. Amen. Then in Proverbs 16 and 16, here's our verse today. How much better to get wisdom than gold, to choose understanding rather than silver. I want you to look up at the screen with me today, and I want you to say it all over the car. Don't repeat me. Say it with me. How much better to get wisdom than gold, to choose understanding rather than silver. Say it again. How much better to get wisdom than gold and to choose understanding rather than silver. Wisdom in Solomon's mind was better than the number one commodity of all of Israel and all of the world in that day, gold. And understanding was greater than the second greatest commodity in all the world, silver. So what he's saying was, I want you to get wisdom and I want you to get understanding. That's what I want. It's better. It's better than gold. And understanding is better than silver. I remember when I was 25 years old, I took my first church. God, those people didn't know what they wasn't getting. They had no clue. But I know one thing that I was. I know I was very sincere. I had some knowledge. I had some education. And I understood a little bit about the word. But I lacked understanding and wisdom. I was simply overwhelmed. In fact, when I went and saw some of the congregations that I was going to be pastoring, there were people there. That could be my parents, you know what I mean. They could, there was people that could be my grandparents. And I was saying, oh God, how am I going to have what it takes to reach their level of wisdom? What, what, what is it going to be? And, and I remember praying day and night. I remember I used to pray for hours. God, give me an understanding heart. Give me wisdom for the day. And, 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 I, and honestly, and I don't want to say this bad, but I spent a lot of time in the bathroom And I had a trash can and I was throwing up in it and emptying it in the commode and throwing up some more because I was so nervous and I was so scared about getting up and preaching something that would be so stupid that they'd say, my God, what have we voted in here? We have got us an Ichabod. Somebody's glory is going to depart with us. And nobody knows what he's doing. He don't know where he's at. He don't know how to get in out of the rain. And I didn't want to be one of those kind of preachers, but God, God heard my prayer. And I met a man, I knew a man that I played racquetball with down at the downtown YMCA in Dallas, Texas. And he was a great man, a man of tenure, a man of, of, of a lot of wisdom, a man of a lot of understanding. And he fell in love with our family. He liked my family. And so he invited us over. He invited us over one Saturday and cooked us biscuits and gravy. He was a great chef and he took us biscuits and gravy. And we went over and just lapped them up. But it wasn't the biscuits and gravy that we enjoyed. When the wives went into the other room and the children went to the other room to visit he and I sat there and I looked at a man that had gray and hair and had an had a, had a eye that was so keen he could look right through you. 
And he shared with me and he gave me insight and he gave me understanding. And he said, you want to come back next Saturday? And I said, oh, yes, sir. And if he didn't ask me back that Saturday for the next Saturday, I said, we coming back next Saturday? Because I wanted to be there. I wanted to be at his feet. I wanted to learn something. I wanted to get wisdom. I wanted to get understanding. And you know what he told me to do? He told me to read the Proverbs. He said, there's 31 chapters. I want you to read a chapter every day. I'd get through with it. He said, you through? I said, yeah. He said, read it again. I'd read it again. He said, you through? I said, yeah. He said, read it again. He had me read Proverbs so many times. My Lord, I could quote it. In fact, I, I got a little tired of it, and I quit reading it for a long time after I, after I left going to his house on Saturday. But I can't even put it to words how valuable it was for me as a young man. You ask people my age or older today and they w- what they would do if they could go back and change some of the decisions they made. And here's what they, w- they would say. If I knew then what I know now, I would have done so much differently. So what I want to preach today is you've got to get wisdom today. You've got to make the right decision. It's not based on the wisdom of this world, which is called foolishness, but on the decision based from the wisdom of the heart of Almighty God. And over a period of years and decades, you can go from an average mundane life to someone who's impacting generations for the glory of God if you get wisdom. Clap your hands to that right now. Some of you are here today. Some of you are here today and your marriage is not right and you need relational wisdom. Some of you are here today and your kids are going defunct on you and you need some child wisdom. Some of you are here today and your finances are not good and you need some financial wisdom. Some of you are trying to make decisions in life right now and you need the fact to have wisdom to make the proper choices. Proverbs 4 and 7 said, wisdom is supreme. It's supreme. Therefore, get wisdom. Though it costs you all you have, get understanding. What he is saying is that wisdom is so awesome and understanding is so great. And you need to glorify God. You want to make a difference in this world. You've got to give everything you've got. You've got to go get it like you went after that girlfriend to marry her. You've got to go get it like you chased that tape when you was running track in high school. You've got to go get it like you got that football under your arm and you're trying to make it to the end zone. He said, when wisdom appears to you, you better get after it. When understanding comes into your life, you better get after it. Don't let anybody stop you on your goal to get wisdom and understanding in your life. Get wisdom, it's better than gold. Get understanding, it's better than silver. Though it costs you everything you have, though it costs you money, though it costs you time, though it costs people making fun of you, get it. Go get it. It will transform your life. And if you watch Solomon all through his teachings, he contrasts foolish people with wise people. And over and over again, he's saying, don't be a fool, be wise. Say it to yourself, don't be a fool, be wise. Because here's a problem, and you've got to admit this. Fools don't know when they're being fools, do they? You sit there and look at somebody, and he's crazy. He's out in the left field, and you said, my God, he's a fool. He don't even know it. And he just laughs because he thinks he's got something on everybody. He don't know he's crazy. He don't know he's out there in the left field. There's nobody in this church like that, but there's people out there like that. Some of you in your 50s and 60s, you remember the 80s? Ladies, you remember the 80s, the big hair? Come on, talk to me. The oatmeal box. Come on, you know, you talk to me. The beehive, you know what I mean? The beehive. You thought, you thought, my God, it looked like the Victorian age in the 80s again. You know what I'm saying? It's massive. It's huge. And you guys, can't, you can't laugh too much because you wore those parachute pants too. You know what I mean? 
parachute pants. Somebody was talking about skinny jeans today. I said, someday I'll be preaching about those because <laughs> it's just a fad. You know what I mean? I, anybody remember the ducktails from the 50s? You remember the fond? You know what I'm saying? We thought ducktails were it, baby. We thought it was it. You remember that? Come on, talk. Do you remember the Nehru jackets from the 60s? We talked with the Beatles. You know what I mean? Let me tell you something. In the 70s, when I was in my 20s, somebody bought me some red britches. Listen to me. And I went and got a red checkered sport coat. And I got a red tie. And I got a white shirt with red stripes. And I wore it preaching everywhere. How can anybody listen to a man in red? And the only compliment I ever got was, well, at least the blood of Jesus was red, Brother Rex. Hallelujah. Amen. Just goofy. Just goofy. But I thought I was in like Flynn. I thought I was busting out, you know. We don't know when we're being foolish. Fools don't know when they're being foolish. You don't know. You just don't know. I'm going to help you today. I'm telling you right now, a lot of us, we do foolish things. We don't even know it. How many of you often act before you think? Now, some of you didn't even know what I said. You just put your hand up because I said to. <laughs> How many of you often spend as much as you earn? Oh, I do that. And the rest of you didn't raise your hand. Liar, liar, pants on fire. <laughs> How many of you occasionally hurt someone that you love? Raise your hand. Come on. Come on. You know you do. If the person beside you does that and he didn't raise his hand, lift it up for him right now. Come on. Huh? <laughs> How many of you are like me? You're often full of pride. You're slow to ask for help, especially directions. Come on, man, help me out. Don't let me stand up here by myself. The Bible says you're foolish. You need to get wisdom. In fact, let me show you very directly. I want you to see some things that maybe it'll posture you to get ready to see some wisdom in your life. The first thing I want to tell you about fools, Solomon said they act before they think. That's why I asked those questions. Proverbs 13 and 16 said every prudent man acts out of knowledge, but the fool exposes his folly. Wise people think before they act. Fools don't, and they often brag about their foolishness. They act before they think. Now, now, I, now I'm, I'm going to tell this on me because if I told something on you, it would hurt your feelings, but it won't hurt my feelings because I, I can preach about me. I can laugh at me. If you can't laugh at yourself, you need more of God, okay? But I was 25 years old. I told you I used to throw up before I went to church, but I was 25 years old, and I was, all, I was like a bee pollinating every flower I could pollinate. I was going everywhere, all over the church, trying to greet people and meet people. And we grew from 15 to 30 and 30 to 60 and 60 to 120, 120 to 240, 240 to 480. We just kept growing. We just kept growing. And God kept blessing. And I just, I didn't know, I, I, just, I just said, God, help me. And God gave me wisdom or whatever. Whatever he gave me, he gave it to me. And one day a, a lady came and I knew she was new. And, and you say, was well, she pretty? I don't know if she is pretty. I really don't. I wish that I could tell you that she was a beautiful lady, but I don't know. But I do know what happened. And let me share something with you. She had a baby, okay? And that baby was wrapped in a blanket. Gentlemen, here, I want to tell you something. If you ever see a woman with a baby wrapped in a blanket, just walk away. Walk away. Just get out of Dodge. Somebody help. Somebody get with me this morning. You folks got up early enough to laugh, didn't you? Come on. Just walk away. Because I went up to that woman. I love babies. I've been kissing babies since I was a little old boy. I, I mean, I, I love kids. I love kids. I love my grandkids. I love my daughters, and I love my, my family. But I walked up, and I said something so stupid. I said, can I take a look? 
And there was a little pause, and I said, oh, God. And she just lifted up that blanket, and that baby was having breakfast. Like I say, I don't know what she looked like. (laughs) That baby was having breakfast right there in front of me. And I said, oh, Jesus, I'm so sorry. And I walked away. And, folks, I learned a lesson. Man, let me tell you one more time. If you ever see a woman with a baby in a blanket hugged up to her, just walk on off. Get on out of town. Don't say, let me look. It's what you call foolish. What you call foolish. Second thing. Second thing, fools spend all they earn. That's what Solomon said. Proverbs 21 and 20 said, In the house of the wise are stores of choice food and oil, but a foolish man, he devours it all. He eats it all. He spends it all. And he says, but everybody else is doing it. Well, everybody else is foolish too. You know what I've always tried to practice? When I I make my payday, I pay my tithe. I put 10% back and I use the rest to live on. I promise, let me tell you about tithing right quick. Let me just throw it in here, okay? I hardly ever preach about it, but let me tell you. God doesn't doesn't bless the 90% that's left. He blesses the 10% you put in the ground. The crop is what grows up. The crop is what produces. You put one kernel of corn in the ground, see what it produces. It produces a stalk that's got eight or ten ten, uh, ears of corn on it. And all those ears of corn have 250-something pieces of corn. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. You put in the ground. You bless God with your first 10% and God will bless you down the road. Don't spend all you have. That's what foolish people do. The third thing that they do, foolish people hurt those they love. Proverbs 14 and 1 says, the wise woman builds up her house, but with her own hands, the foolish one tears it down. You know what a foolish woman does? She belittles people in her family. She nags. She controls. You know what a foolish man does? He dominates. He's angry. The foolish one tears down and hurts those they love. And the fourth thing that fools do, they think they know it all. You know, you know <laughs> there's some brilliant people in this house. And I love brilliant people, but I love brilliant people that have wisdom in their life. Because just knowledge and education don't give you God's wisdom. Only God can give you his wisdom. But I love people that don't think they know everything. But sometimes there's people that just think they know everything. I had an uncle like that. I had an uncle like that. His name was Ted. And when the Cowboys had a quarterback named Roger Staubach, which was my favorite quarterback, he called him Roger Starbuck. Roger Starbuck. And, I, and, and he, I'd get so mad. And he didn't do it because he was trying to get on my nerves. He did it because he thought he was right. And I thought, I told my daddy, I said, Daddy, that's the craziest man in all the world. He can't even pronounce Roger Staubach's name right. He calls him Starbuck. He literally named the Starbuck Corporation that makes coffee, evidently, because he called Starbuck, Starbuck, Starbuck. Then my wife had an uncle. It's not all the crazies in my family. <laughs> my wife had an uncle. Fools think they know it all. My wife had an uncle. And the first time we got to a family reunion one time, Uncle Marvin got me in a corner. And everybody was out there laughing at me because they knew I'd been trapped. And he started talking, about, started talking about Walmart, Walmart this and Walmart that. He said, you know, I know the man personally that owns Walmart. He said his name is Sam Wahlberg. He's a Jew. I said, no, no, sir. I believe the man that owns Walmart, his name's Sam Walton, and he's an old pickup driving cowboy. 
No, it ain't. No, 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 son, you need to be enlightened. He said he's a Jew. His name's Wahlberg. You know what, folks? I couldn't change his mind. I couldn't change my Uncle Ted's mind. Some people are just going to be ignorant in spite of everything you can do for them. They're not going to get in out of the rain even though you give them an umbrella. They'll just stay out there and say, oh, no, I don't need that. You're going to melt. I ain't going to melt. I'm just going to stay out here in the rain. Come on. You know what Winston Churchill told his son? He said, we in the civilized world have erased the lion and the tiger from the human heart, but we hadn't succeeded in removing the donkey. There's a lot of, there's a lot of jack in our hearts. <laughs> you, know what I'm you with me? Come on, folks. Quit acting like you've got to be right all the time. Somebody help me out. How much better to get wisdom than gold, to choose understanding rather than silver? Choose wisdom. Get understanding. It's supreme, though it costs you all you have. Get it. I'm telling you. I pray to God that there are some of you wise enough here today to hear this and pursue it and seek it and want it because I'll say it again. If you get wisdom, it'll change the trajectory of your life forever. Over decades, you can impact more people for the glory of God if you make decisions not based on the pros and cons or based on the wisdom of this world, which God calls foolishness, but based on the wisdom of the heart of God. So now I know what a lot of you are saying. You're saying, Pastor, how do I get it? Tell me how to get wisdom. I want to get it. How do I get it? Well, the good news is the Bible is clear on that about anything in the whole book. Let's talk about getting some wisdom today. The first thing you got to do, everybody say, I want some wisdom. Come on, give me some wisdom. Let the word give me some wisdom. Are you wanting some of it? You wanting some of it? The first thing you got to do is fear the Lord. We must fear God. The Bible said in Proverbs, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Everybody say, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I would ask that nobody in the next 10 minutes walks out of this church because I want to impact you right now with these three points I'm fixing to preach. Are you with me now? Are you going to help me preach? Oh, my Lord, is God going to strike me down today? Is he grumpy? Is he going to get me? That's not what it means. The fear of the Lord in the Old Testament is a reverential fear. It's a fear that says there's a holy awe in my heart for the presence of God. Here's the deal. We're afraid of rejection when making decisions. We're afraid of failure. What if I try and I don't make it? And what we should do is we should live in awe and fear of a holy God. One of the biggest problems in our culture today is that we've become too familiar with a holy God. In fact, we're way too casual with God. We use stuff like, hey, I'm cool with the big guy in the sky. Me and the man upstairs, we got it going on. There's nothing in Scripture that says we should approach God in that fashion. You know, hey, God, I'm cool, you know. I do whatever I want. I was baptized when I was eight and that kind of thing. And I'm going to do what I want to do. And, you know, I'll check in with you every now and then or when I need you. I'm here to tell you, God's presence is not going to be handled that way. You're not going to handle God's presence. In fact, in fact, if we had the aura of the presence of God to walk in this room right now, if we were ushered into heaven right now, you know what we'd do? We'd be like those four and twenty elders. We'd be falling down on our face. We'd be casting our crowns at his feet. We'd be saying, I am nothing. I need your presence in my life because there's nothing like the presence of God in our hearts. Somebody has got to fear that and say, I get down on my knees. And I praise you, and I love you, and I honor you, and I adore you, and I give you everything I am. That's the fear of the Lord. 
I'm sorry I got beside myself, but that's what it's about. And when you're in that posture, and when you're in that place, all of a sudden, you have this I must please him mentality. That's the beginning of wisdom. As I touched the Ark of the Covenant one time, and God knocked him over and killed him. It wasn't because the Ark was going to be damaged. God wasn't going to let his glory be damaged. It's because that Uzzah had lived with his father, Ohio, where the ark had been stationed for 20 years, and he got familiar with the presence of God. Let me tell you something. One thing that I love about CLC is every Sunday morning you came with expectation and you come with hunger. And don't you ever lose that because I promise you in his presence, come on now, there's fullness of joy. Come on. And at his right hand, there's pleasures. And somebody's got to get down under the glory and say, God, speak to me. I want to reverence what you are in my life. Come on, clap your hands real big around here. Praise his name. Praise his name. Praise his name. The second thing the scripture says about getting wisdom is you've got to ask God. Just ask God pretty plain. James 1 and 5 said, if any of you lack wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, it will be given to him. Did you hear that? It will be given to him without finding fault. Can I tell you, it doesn't matter who you are. Listen to me. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what your pedigree is. It doesn't matter what your genealogy is. If you ask God, he will not find fault in your asking and he will give it to you. Don't sit back on your pew and say, I'll never be able to get there. You may never have the riches of some. You may never have the education of some. But you can have knowledge. You can have wisdom. You can have understanding. Because God gives it to people that ask Him for it. Oh, I feel like preaching right now. Stay with me. Stay with me. I've been doing some pretty heavy counseling at church here recently. I really, really have. And it's, it's pushed me to a limit. It's pushed me to a limit I've never been before because we're living in a world we've never lived in before. And I'll drive up sometime and I've got an appointment maybe with a couple that is not making it, maybe with a couple that's having a problem with the child or maybe a child that's having problems with parents or maybe somebody's addicted to something and, and I've got to give them some. And you know what I do? I pray, I pray, I pray. I pray short bursts of prayer. God, give me help today. Give me some wisdom today. God, give it to me. I don't walk in saying, man, I got an answer. I don't. I don't. There's sometimes when I get through talking, I take notes on myself because I never thought of it till I got in there and sat down because God just starts speaking it out of me. Are you with me? Do you understand? But the Bible said if you ask him, he will give it to you. You don't have to come with a manuscript of notes. You can come with a heart that says, I'm after God. I'm asking God, and God will give you what you need. Right then, some of you need wisdom on your job. Some of you need that promotion and you're going against people that don't have the godly wisdom and you're going to have godly wisdom when you get interviewed and you're going to get that promotion because God's going to give you the right words to say. He's going to give you the proper etiquette to talk because that's what God does. If you ask him for it, he will give it to you. Wow. Wow. And the third thing that I want to share with you and then I'll, I'll shut it down here. If you want wisdom, you've got to fear God. You've got to ask God. You've got to hang out with wise people. 
Somebody ought to say amen right there. I could preach for a whole weekend, a whole year of weekends on this text because it's so, 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 so important that you understand. Hang out if you want wisdom with wise people. Proverbs 13 20 said, He who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. I'm sorry I got the Bible for everything I'm preaching today. Forgive me. Listen, you want to be wise? Hang out with wise people. You want to be an idiot? Hang out with fools. My mom used to say, Rex, you are who you run with. She said, if you run with dogs, you're going to get fleas. And I would say, no, I'm not. She said, yeah, you actually are. You really are. Scripture said bad company corrupts good character. Wow. You run with a bunch of nuts, you're going to become a nut. That's what it says. This scripture is true. You want to be wise, you hang with wise people. Hang out with those who are wise. Hang out with those who are wise. You know what? It doesn't work real well sometime among our younger culture because our younger culture wants to be cool and in more than they want to be dependent on God for wisdom. And sometimes people that could walk in that wisdom get connected to nuts, get connected to foolish people instead of making those foolish people get connected to them. Let me tell you something. I want to say it real strong. We need some Pied Pipers in this house, in our youth groups, that'll stand up and say, no, 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 that ain't going to happen. We're going to live for God. Amen? Brother Brad took a hundred of our kids to, to Six Flags the other day, and I said, Brad, I, yeah, cheer for that. Isn't that awesome? Took a hundred of them. And I said, Brad, how do you do it? He said, by the grace of God, Dad, by the grace of God. I said, how do you keep them together? Well, I keep them in groups of five. He said, because if we had four, they'll team up. <laughs> they'll, I love it. He keeps them in the five package. That's grace. Five is a number of grace. Amen. And he prays for grace. But you know what? God's growing our youth group. But we need some young people in our church to step up and say, you know what? We're not going to walk the path that other kids walk that's joining our youth group that's come out of the world. They're going to walk our path. If they want to go to heaven, they're going to walk our path. We're not going to try to walk their path. They're going to walk our path because we're not going to hang out. We're not going to rub shoulders with people that don't know what's going on. But we're going to get wisdom. In fact, young people, I want to tell you something. I want to tell you something. I have have bought you something. I have bought every young person in this church something. I'm going to give it to you the day that school starts up, the Sunday before. I've I've already ordered it. I've already ordered it. It's a book. I'm giving all of our young people a book. Is it a Christian book? Is it the Bible? No, no. It's not either one. It's not a Christian book. It's not the Bible. But it's a book that will change your world. And I've never done it in all my life. But I'm going to share that book with our young people because I want you to understand that God's got something great for you in your life. God's got something awesome for you in your life. And you can make a difference. Oh, I feel like shouting right now. You can make a difference. You can. Come on, Brother Randy, and help me out here. I've gone too long. When I was just a young man, I knelt and I prayed and I told God, God, you're my passion. I want to serve you with all my heart. I want to be faithful to maximize all the gifts that you've given me for your kingdom and for your glory. I said, God, I want, I want a family. And I want that family to matter. 
I want to be a godly man. I want to love my wife as Christ loved the church. I want to be faithful to her. I want to be a godly father and raise generations of people that will know you and serve you. I want people to know that they are there on my purpose. And I want everybody that I preach to to know that I care about who I'm preaching to. I'm not just up here wasting words and throwing wind out. Let me love like you love, Lord. Let me try. Let me give like you gave. Let me care like you care. Let me humble myself and serve like you did. Because, God, I'm not anything if I'm not like you. And I said, Lord, I don't want to minister for money. I told him that. But I said, quite honestly, I want to be financially free. I don't ever be in debt to anybody. I don't want to have to make decisions based on finances. I don't want, I really don't, I don't want to owe any man anything except the continual debt of love. That's all I want to owe. And the fifth thing I want, God, I want to be friends to those. And they will always be my friends. I want to be steady in all I do. I want to be dependable. I want to be there. I want to be caring. I want to be forthright. Now, the man that stands before you, I may not feel all of those capacities to you, but that's the prayer I prayed for at least two or three years, at least two or three years when I was still single. I was still trying to get it together. When I was 23 years old, right after I married, I put that in a Bible, and that's been my course of life. That's been my, that's been my five principles that I've lived by the rest of my life. Here's what I want to tell you. The people I hung with, the people I hung with, were people that I called wise winners. I didn't want to just hang with just people that didn't, didn't see it right. I, I, I loved them. They could hang with me. They could hang with me. You understand that? I didn't, I didn't hi-hat anybody, but I wasn't going to do what they did to get their friendship. Are you with me today? They could do what I did and get my friendship. But I want to tell you something. I was misunderstood. Church people, young people did not have the same core values. But God allowed me in my second year of college to fall in love with some people that took care of me. And I, I, I bought a room from them. In fact, if I showed a picture of them today, they look like that couple that's got that pitchfork, that old country couple in front of that barn. That's who they look like. So, so it wasn't a pretty woman and a good-looking man. It was, oh, God, help us. But I tell you what that man and that woman did. They took me under their wing. The 19-year-old boy. And he was a finance man. He worked in finance, and he taught me about finance, taught me about money. He was a praying man. He taught me a lot about prayer. In fact, one night, they put me between him and her. They both laid hands on me and said, God, make this man something special in your life. And I'll never forget that night in front of a couch, just absolutely being blessed by the hand of the Lord. Of Mr. and Miss Country Bumpkin. He was a faithful man. His word was his bond. He was a caring man. People mattered to him. He told me, don't pursue money. He said, get wisdom. Get it. He said, fear God. Ask God for it. He said, hang out with people that are wise. And he said, and prettier than us. He knew he wasn't pretty. He played a violin in church. I called it a fiddle one time, and he wouldn't let me touch it for two months. He said, it's a violin. Thank you, Bobby. Thank you, Jack. Thank you for taking me in and let me walk with you. He turned my life. He showed me grace. He taught me 
wisdom and understanding. I close today. Wisdom is told about a moneylender who was about to throw a debtor in prison for non-payment of his debts. And the debtor had a beautiful daughter. And the lender offered to cancel the debt if the man would give his daughter to him in marriage. The moneylender proposed a deal. He would put a black and a white pebble in an empty money bag. And the girl was to pick out one of the pebbles. And if it were black, she would be his wife and her father's debt would be canceled. And if it was white, she would stay with her father and the debt would also be canceled. But if she refused to pick, her father would go to jail and the girl would starve to death. The father and the daughter reluctantly agreed to the test. And when the moneylender stooped down to pick up the pebbles, he with dishonesty picked up two black stones and put them in the money bag. And the girl saw him, and when she reached him to pick up one of the stones, she deliberately let it fall back to the ground among the stones and cried out, Oh, how clumsy of me. But it really doesn't matter. If you look in the bag, you can tell which color I chose by the color of the one that's still in there. The stingy and the crafty moneylender did not dare admit his dishonesty. Her wisdom won, and her father's freedom was given. I'm telling you, wisdom always wins. Stand on your feet and clap your hands all over the house. Come on, stand on your feet and clap your hands all over the house. Thank you for listening to the Christian Life Austin podcast. For more information, please visit clcaustin.com.